Hi, I'm Jim Martin. Before we get going here, I just want to say that this show is built on a model of advertising and listener support, the two of them, to make the whole thing work. That's the reason that we're able to do this after all these years is because we have some advertisers and we have some people who support the show, but it's not enough. There's only a fraction of the people, I mean, a really tiny fraction of the people that listen every single week choose to support the show. Please don't sit back and, and expect somebody else to do it. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support. Thanks. In Mexico, around this time of year, the end of October, 1st of November, Mexicans celebrate what's called the Day of the Dead. It's a time to remember the, their loved ones and their friends that have passed on. But the Day of the Dead isn't about mourning. It's not sad. It's a celebration. A celebration of those that once lived. And through that celebration, Mexicans remember, rejoice, and the Day of the Dead reminds them that, that death is not to be feared, that it's sort of a gateway into another world. And that releases them to enjoy life and, and what they have on earth and what they still have right now. But I think for a lot of us, it often takes a dangerous or, or threatening predicament, a brush with death, or, or what could have been possibly death if things didn't go our way, to remind us just how beautiful life really is. Like when some motorcycle travelers find themselves in a precarious situation where they feel death is imminent or at least highly possible. And in the end, they're fortunate enough to come out with their life and maybe some incredible stories from those close calls. Mignus and Elsby Ulivir are sort of in the thick of things down in Mexico right now. They're awaiting the celebrations to begin on October 31st at midnight. I'm going to talk with them. They're going to share their experiences because they've been there before. And that's why they're there again, because they enjoy this so much. They're going to talk about that. We're also going to look back on some stories of adventure riders who found themselves in risky situations and lived to tell the tale. All that coming up. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Bill Bragu. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth Sean Thomas, and this is Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com It's <laughs> a good start. Hello, my name is Michtas. Um, I'm from South Africa, currently in Oaxaca. I'm the trophy husband. <laughs> and I'm Elsby Willyfear, and we're from Picky Picky Overland. Mickness and Elsby, welcome back. Thank you so much, Jim, and thanks for, uh, for chatting to you again. 
So you guys said you were in Mexico. Where in Mexico? We're in Oaxaca City. Um, really beautiful. And our decision to be here was specifically because we've been here a couple of years ago for the celebrations of Days of Day of the Dead. Uh, so yes, we're in the city for a couple of weeks. Just to give an idea, Oaxaca is about 400 kilometers south of Mexico City in the middle of the country. Yeah, So it's, it's not on the coast, it's about 1,500 meters altitude. So you, you guys have been on the road for what, 10 years or something like that, right? Yep. So, so roughly 10 years, <laughs> you're traveling around by motorcycle, riding your DR650s. Um, why why did you choose to go back to this place in particular for Day of the Dead? Well, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful little town, well, not little town, it's, it's a beautiful a city, town, it's yeah. a city. Um, they go big out on, on Day of the Dead. Um, there's other places as well, but this is more authentic. San Miguel de Allende is more for gringos than uh, what they call, you know, uh, touristy. Um, but Oaxaca uh, is a lot more authentic and, and they really go big out on, on doing it um, Yeah, every, every region in Mexico sort of celebrates it slightly different. Um, and we really just liked Oaxaca when we were here because they they keep a lot more to the traditions and the surroundings uh, of Oaxaca is really nice to explore. Whether you're in a car, a backpack or on a motorcycle, there's so much to do and see. What, what is Day of the Dead? What's it about? Right. So in America, the guys celebrate Halloween and it's more just a celebration of saying goodbye, you know, uh, to, to winter or to summer and hello to winter. Where in Mexico, it's called, uh, they actually have three days of celebration. So they, uh, the two major days is the 1st of November and the 2nd of November. And it's basically All Saints Day where they celebrate, it's more religious and they celebrate the family that has passed on and life and death. So it's it's more a, a, a religious a traditional ceremony than Halloween that is more a holiday celebration. No, it's not to be confused. Although the, the dates are close together, it's not to be confused. Halloween has got nothing to do with... with There's some the similarities, but um, in, in essence, <clears throat> the biggest difference is in Mexico, it's more a religious and, and tradition. Yeah, and, the, and then the Dias de los Muertos, which is Day of the Dead, is about 2,000 years old. It's an Aztec thing. So it's a long tradition that they that they come with. And Dia, Day of the Dead is a celebration, so it's not really a, a somber... Um, uh, event it, they they bring a lot of humor into it and uh, and, um, and and it's fun you know so so they try and and, and make it fun uh, the whole the whole festival it's not a festival I think it's, it's a really celebration, celebration of life yeah. and death really yeah, yeah. yeah the the only is, is, I guess similarity between that and Halloween although they're very close in, in, in date because Halloween's the end of October is um, the dressing up isn't it really the costumes because that's what we do for Halloween in North America. I mean, yeah, otherwise, I think, Halloween's about yeah. candy in North America. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I think uh, the Mexican uh, dress-up, although you do see a little bit of um, the USA's Halloween costumes being introduced here, but traditionally, and the more popular costumes are still the skulls and the La Catrinas. So La Catrina is the, the uh, lady face with the big hat and all the flowers on, <clears throat> on her head. Um, so if you're in, if, uh, specifically in Oaxaca, you'll maybe see a few kids running around with a, a Halloween costume, but most of the time they all dressed up skeleton faces, skeletons, or the more traditional Aztec symbols that they use. Mm. And what's it like to be there for the celebration? What do you, what do you Amazing. experience? 
it's colorful, it's noisy, it's don't expect to get a lot of sleep, especially around those uh, three days of celebration. So on the 31st of October, they normally deemed it as the day where all the children that passed away or that passed on uh, wake up and return to the family to spend the first day with them. So that would be the 1st of November. So from the 30th, the people... Um, go out to the cemeteries and they have little altars altars that they build at their houses and their businesses to celebrate somebody. So if they a, a child is passed on and it was a little boy and he absolutely loved a certain type of candy and he loved cars, they will actually build a little altar with candles and little cars and the things that he used to like to celebrate his life. And then the families normally go to uh, the cemeteries to go and celebrate uh, uh, the life of the people that's passed on by honoring them and by displaying on the graveyards uh, what these people's lives was about. So then the, the 1st of November, they celebrate the adults returning on the eve of the 1st of November. And then the 2nd of November, it's All Saints Day where they basically celebrate the Catholic saints. So it's it's really interesting. It's colorful. Uh, everywhere you, know, there's, you there's, walk. You no, know, there's golds are, are everywhere. It yes. Is, the, the whole place is orange and it's flowers. It's just flowers. And you buy, um, uh, and when they have the, when they celebrate, for example, um, grown ups, and there's a, it's a guy that passed away, they'll put beer in his grave and stuff like that. And well, they arrange for a band to play around the, <laughs> the, the, the grave. It's, it's really, it's actually quite um, eye opening or quite. Uh, I mean, for us as South Africans, the first time we experienced Day of the Dead, it was a little bit of, whoa. You know, in South Africa, uh, well, in our culture, it's more, world. yeah, in the Western world, it's a very somber thing to talk about uh, death. We, yeah. Yeah, we're here in Latin America, it's a celebration. And if somebody passes on, it's a noisy affair and a colorful, and yes, they are sad, but they're also happy for that person and they don't forget him. And it's, it's like it's a celebration forever on. Now the, the cemeteries are exploding colors in flowers, in marigolds. There's people selling beer there. What do they call it? Um, the, 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 the beer selling beer. Oh, they do micheladas. Michelada, yeah, micheladas. So no, it's a festival. It's a festival. Yeah. It's, uh, you can buy beer and tequila there. There's the, mescal. The there. families will actually take their meal that they would have at home. Most of them would take the full meal and go and have it around the graveyard. In the evenings. In the wow. evenings. And they would actually have a full celebration. Uh, and, and they've got traditional foods in this time. So they've got specifically Day of the Dead bread. So if you go out for a coffee, you have this sweet little bread with your coffee and it's all part of this traditional time. Yeah, candy, candy yeah. skulls. They make candy skulls. Oh, they make a lot of sugar. Sugar candy skulls. Yeah, a lot of little. So if uh, you can go to, uh, they've got all these ladies selling and making sugar skulls, but they also make, uh, like little cars and uh, things that people like out of the sugar skulls and that get placed on, on the graveyard sites. And, you know, if the first rain come, it just melts away and it, it's gone. But it, it it's so interesting to see how they celebrate. But every every evening, so in Oaxaca, there's the big Santa, Santa Domingo Church, which is sort of in the square. And then, in the center. Um, in the center and then lower down, I think about 300 meters down in the, in the street, there's another church with, with also a big plaza. So right through the day, these bands, I don't know where these bands come from, but they just, they pop out of nowhere. Small celebrations Small cel everywhere. And these bands. Like musical bands. Yeah. It's musical bands, but the Oompa music. Bands. Yeah, <laughs> bands. But the music, 
Don't expect nirvana. I mean, no, this, all this, this is all the same. It's, it's, it it's borderline noisy. No, it's very repetitive. It's, but bor- it's it, borderline noisy. Is that what you said? It's, it's borderline noisy. It is, it is literally no, it just is jamming. noisy. You, know, it, you can't even call it jamming together. They just whatever they can do. They and then they will walk down and they they make all this noise and everybody's following them and taking photos and then. The next moment, you know, everything dies down, and then half an hour later, another band somewhere from somewhere just appears, and it's noise so, going down. Maybe they were never so, bands to begin with. That's no, why no, they sound no. like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I like this. I always like the sound of this. Um, you know, I think it's a great way to do it. It's a nice way to remember people. You know, rather than sit around looking oh, at it from a depressing point of view, like you said, which is is more of a, a North American. Um, approach, I think. So that's pretty fun. But what do you guys do as foreigners coming in, not being, you know, connected with any of the local people? How do you fit in? How do you experience it then? Uh, we eat too much. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not a way in. That's just a result of you being there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, it's a, it's a defi- it, no, it's not difficult. It is, it, Mexicans are really beautiful um, and friendly people. So even in in the in the church, in the cemeteries at night when it's it's a little bit more calmed down, people sitting in the graves, or the or the what I don't know what you call it, but or tombstone, not tomb, no, I don't know what's the right name for it. But they're sitting there in in their little families and they just there. I mean, I take photos. I, I chat to them. It's very yeah. friendly. It's a, a I bit. think this is what makes uh, Mexico so great is that although, for instance, a country like Bolivia, the people generally is a little bit more reserved. In Mexico, it's absolutely the opposite. Uh, if you ask somebody a question about what they are doing, they are generally easy, uh, easygoing and happy to explain to you. Uh, walking in the graveyard, as long as you so, show respect and don't step on top of uh, anything, people are generally happy to let you take a photograph or, you know, invite you to sing with them. Uh, they'll even toast, give you some tequila when you walk past. So, yeah, up until all our, the festivals we've done here, we actually felt a little bit included. Well, also what happens is on the, on the square, like Santa Domingo, the church, you can sit around there, um, maybe drink a beer or something. The next moment, seven or eight ladies with painted faces will pitch up and they'll start do, dancing. Just for, I don't know, they just like it. And then there's everywhere there's people painting faces. So if you want to have your face paint, you can have your face paint. And they, and they really go out big time to do it. I mean, they, they stick stuff on the face and all that. So it's a really, really... Um, um, well celebrated. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, they, they go out big for the, for the for this kind of stuff. Um, there's, there's local artists, I mean, there's... Uh, the stuff you're hearing now is the guy selling ice, ice cream. cream. Oh, is that what it is? It's somebody on the street. Yeah, you can hear in the yeah. background the yeah. horn beeping away. Sorry yeah. if I'm, I'm making you miss your ice cream. No. <laughs> we'll forgive we'll you today. <laughs> but they, in the whole streets, they've just, these people, these artists, these, it's incredible. I, I mean, you, you, every little corner shop and there's, there's mes, mezcal terrias. Um, I mean, I, they I, sell mezcal, yeah. Yeah, they sell mezcal, which is the, the different kind of uh, tequila. They open from eight in the morning till twelve at night, and uh, but it it's is, also the if you walk, you can just take any street and go and walk. the The people dress even at their homes, uh, celebrate. <laughs> so they would dress up the houses and they would have skeletons outside. So it's really, really interesting. For us, the the previous time we were here, we realized that it's actually good to spend a couple of days before the three major celebration days and a couple of days after that because it's so interesting to see how the people prepare for it. If you walk on the markets to see what food they have prepared and then afterwards to see the cleanup and to see 
a normal life going back again. Now, do you get a hangover from this? Oh, for sure. No, it depends. No, it depends, but no doubt if you if you do it the, the proper way. Look, we have to, okay. Let let me let me rephrase this. We have to be mindful. It is you. you there is some westerns that, and we saw it last time in the, in, the, in the first time that for them it's they come in. It's a big party. It's the killer beer, and they, there's just no respect for for local um, anything. So we are, you have to be mindful and stuff. But saying that. If you get a little bit tipsy or things go go south, it's, it's okay. nothing compared to what they do. <laughs> well, some of them. Yeah, they, some of them have, have proper parties. I mean, so we we have across the road from us is a, is a church with a small cemetery. With a small cemetery, and they start the bands six o'clock on a Sunday morning. There's fireworks. There's everything. Right through the whole neighborhood, right through the day, and by six in the afternoon, a lot of them are smashed. Like in both. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, went, you mentioned earlier that you're driving a car now, so you, yes. your bikes are your bikes are, are held up in Bolivia. Correct. Yeah. So yes, in February, the, the start of February this year, we weren't able to to renew our visas for Bolivia, so we had to leave. Um, but the choice was going back to Africa, and at that stage, it wasn't an option because there was no vaccinations or go to America, wait it out and see in a few months if we can go back. But being in America, to have at least some transport, we could have bought motorcycles or, and we decided not to do it because it costs more than just buying a car. So we bought a, a, a Toyota for dirt cheap. <laughs> you just go around. Cheapest car in. Cheapest car in. And, and we worked <laughs> with our friend um, Pete for, uh, for Turkana Business. And um, <clears throat> so we couldn't go back yet. Because Bolivia, the borders are still closed. It doesn't help to go back. The bikes are still there. So we kept in contact with the with the Bolivian friends um, all the time to try and figure so, out how and when yeah. and, and, and that the, stuff. The biggest problem for us is that the land borders uh, of Bolivia is not open for foreigners yet. Mm. Although there is some open, it's not for crossing uh, for foreigners. So up until now... We couldn't even, unless we found somebody that was willing to fly the motorbikes out, which is very difficult in Bolivia, there was no way for us to get the motorcycles across the land border. Uh, it now seems the latest news is that it sounds around about uh, the end of November. If they have uh, been able to reach a 70 or 80 percent vaccination rate, they will then open all the borders. And in that case, uh, we would be able to go back and ride our motorcycles out. So, the, the, yeah, so sorry, Jim. So the plan is now after the day of the date, about the 10th, we're going to um, try and head back to America. So. We'll drive back about the 10th, the 15th to to, to Texas, try and get visas for, for Bolivia. And, and that's going to be a, a, a small um, thing. To sell, do the sell the car. Sell the car. I have to say, I'm a little worried for you guys. I really am because you've been driving around, driving around this car now for months now. And you've got heat when you need it. You've got windshield wipers. You've got probably got air conditioning. <laughs> that thing may even have heated seats. And, and I'm a little uh, concerned that you guys are going to get soft uh, and you're no. never going to get back no. on the bike. No, we've been... No. Every time we're in the car and we're doing these beautiful Mexican roads, we're like, oh, no, I wish I was on the bike. And then, yes, I'm in shorts and the aircon is so beautiful, but no, I miss the motorcycle. No, I am so ready to no. get hot and bothered, but 
just to have the freedom of the motorcycle. It was the first two weeks that car was like, hell, this, yeah, this is this nice. Yeah, this is nice. You want yeah, something to drink, right. you want something to eat. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can do that when yeah, you drive no. along. <laughs> and they're like, oh. No, this is boring. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I, I'm not just a, Mexico's got topes, topas, the speed ups. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a country in the world with the most speed ups. Oh, it's annoying. <laughs> It's slow. It's slow as Topo slow everything down. Now. Everything you can. The only people making money it, is the car companies for shops and it buggers up the cars. Yeah. Up the cars. <laughs> so uh, now, now the last well, time we were here, we were we were here on motorcycles, so it didn't bug us that much. But this time, Mehnes even went as far and he said. Mexico, I love you, but for the topaz, I will never Maybe. stay here. I can't stay here. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you've been there before, obviously, and you just said that with um, yeah. with motorcycles. What's the difference now for you guys? It, does, does it change anything with you being there with the car as far as the way you, you meet people or people come up to you? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's all different. No, it's like you, you're just part of the... <laughs> no, okay. it, you, it, it, yeah, you don't get the, the, the same engagement that you get with people. With the motorcycles, you immediately get engagement with people when you stop. And it doesn't matter where you stop. People are curious and they, you know, immediately are there. In a car, you're just a normal just another, person. You're just a, another traveler or, it's, you know, it's worlds apart. It's worlds apart and yeah. also for us, the actual experience, now it's, are we taking a road trip to Oaxaca? Previously it was, yes, we're going to do this mountain road and we're going to stop here and we're going to sleep there because there's a beautiful view here. Now it's almost the ride or driving here is uneventful where in the part on a motorcycle, even just going to a place is part of the event. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a whole different thing, isn't it? I mean, no, it starts absolutely. to rain out, you put the wipers on, it gets a little cool, you turn the heat on yeah. and you just keep going. You, you know, you, yeah. it doesn't affect you. And it, um, yeah, so yeah, and you don't smell everything and you don't experience what is going out uh, on the outside world. It's, it's, yeah, it's really, really different. Well, there's benefits probably to anything, but the benefit for motorcycling for us massively outweigh the negatives of motorcycling, the fact that we have two motorcycles, so we, we're basically paying the same fuel as what the car would have paid. Mm-hmm. There's no really benefit for us in a, in a, in, a, in driving the, the motorcycle. No, it's the experience. It's Absolutely. experience, and the bikes cost more than what the car costs. So that is not. So there's no. I, we cannot say. Well, well, biking we do it because it's cheaper. It's not cheaper. There, there's no. But the experience, the the love, the fun, the 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 everything about motorcycling massively outweighs sitting in the car. And, mm-hmm. and although the car's got benefits, I can have in shorts, quickly run out, take a photo. It's very boring. It's boring. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're a passenger. Yeah. No, and the thing is, traveling to up, just like you said, there, there's no savings in money. I mean, it, as a matter of fact, I would suggest that it even costs more because you've got um, gear that you have to buy. You've exactly. got tires and, and chains and sprockets that you have to replace. And then, like you said, the fuel, you're pretty much to a, a small car fuel consumption by running two exactly. motorcycles. Yeah. So it, um, there has to be something other than financial reasons to ride the bike for sure. Well, here's hoping you guys get back on your bike very soon. Thank you. Mick and Elsby, thank you very much. I, I re- really appreciate it and enjoy the festivities. Thank, thank you, you so much, much Jim. And it's always nice chatting to you, Jim. Mickness and Elsby from Peaky Peaky Overland. Their website is peakypeakyoverland.com. We've got the link 
to their website in the show notes for this episode. The other thing we have in the show notes for this episode are a bunch of photos that McNess has given us about the Day of the Dead. So if you're ever thinking of going there, if you're wondering what it looks like, drop by our website and look at the show notes. These photographs are stunning. Hey, we're going to take a short break while I tell you about a couple of things. But after that, we've got some stories that were told to us a few years back, which I think you're really going to enjoy. Stay with us. Back in uh, March 2019, we had a couple on the show that uh, they traveled the world two up on a KTM 640 adventure. It was Heidi and David Winters. Now, it was on that trip that David broke his wrist while he was riding. So David's trying to ride his bike because he's the rider of the bike. Heidi's the pillion. He's got a broken wrist and, and he's trying to use a throttle lock. And I think he had the one that, that sort of screws onto the end of the handlebar. But anyway, it was a real pain for him. Drove him nuts. When they got back, he was set to find a better throttle lock. Couldn't find it. So he decides to make his own, which is what he did. He invented the Atlas throttle lock. It is an amazing, beautifully crafted piece of equipment that clamps onto your handlebar. It's got two buttons on it. They both work in a firm, positive way that give you the just the full feedback. It always makes me think of Apple products because it gives you the full feedback that you want when you're engaging or disengaging. It is a beautiful piece of equipment. And if you don't know what a throttle lock is, it doesn't lock your throttle so someone doesn't steal your bike. It holds your throttle position so you can relax your hand and wrist and arm. And it, it makes riding so much nicer. AtlasThrottleLock.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. See and be seen with Cyclops Adventure Sports. This is the place to go for motorcycle lighting. Cyclops is a family-owned and run business. It's also a family of riders. They make every kind of light you can imagine, and um, some you actually won't imagine because they're so unique, like the Evo Turn Signal inserts, the Evo turn signal inserts. I love these things because I've got them on my bike. They turn your your turn signals, which in many cases on most bikes, they only come on when you put on your signal and they flash, but they turn them into serious, bright driving lights in the front and then super, super bright brake lights and tail lights in the back. So now that's putting something into use that wasn't before, but not only that, it commands attention. When, when I tap that brake light in, in, in any sort of darkness at all, I can see it reflecting back down the road in my mirror um, on off of all the lights. It's just incredible. Uh, they also make um, CAN bus plug-and-play systems. They make LED bulbs, the LED headlights, all from people who know. People are riders just like us. Cyclops Adventure Sports. The website is cyclopsadventuresports.com. Please throw in there anytime you're dealing with them that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Cyclopsadventuresports.com. So this is a story from a rider named Luke Gelmi. Luke was having an incredible experience because before he left on this trip, he had a lot of hangups. He was very worried about being ripped off and having things stolen or having things go wrong. He was very stressed. But after a while, finally, he was beginning to fall into the rhythm of adventure. In fact, the day that we're going to hear is probably the perfect adventure day. Well, at least it starts out that way. So I'll set the scene. Luke is riding in Africa. Today, he's been riding with his full gear on, as he always does. He's hot and sweaty and in desperate need of a swim. He gets to the ocean. He finds that the ocean is quite rough, rougher than what he's comfortable with. But he decides he's going to swim anyway. And then he quickly finds himself in over his head. 
well, 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 let's talk about that. Just yeah. set the scene. Yeah, so it had been a long, long day in the leathers. And, and you know how when you have a stinking hot day on the motorbike, you, I was wearing all black, so a black helmet, black jacket, long Kevlar-lined jeans in Ghana, like in like nearly equatorial Africa, is just stinking hot. And so at the end of the day, come hell or high water, I was jumping in the ocean. And it turned out that that was a terrible decision. <laughs> Yeah, so the 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 waves were enormous. It had been there'd been about two weeks of just violent storms, kind of whipping a frenzy up off the coast. And what had ended up happening was, you know, even after all that cleared off, it was still an enormous, enormous swell rolling in. And I, I'm from Australia. I can I can swim okay, but it's this was even still touch and go for me. But I've decided, you know what, I have to have this swim. I'll die if I don't have this swim. And so off we go, off I go, off the coast and out past the breakers. And it, it's, it's the kind of waves that it's like thunder, thunderous rolling thunder as the, um, as the waves kind of break. And, and I stayed out there for maybe a minute maximum before I was terrified and needed to come back in. But on, on the way back in, and I, as I was, I, I've tried to catch a wave in and totally butchered it and uh, nearly got my spine broken by one of these huge waves. I've popped out and noticed that there was somebody else in the water with me. And that was completely unexpected because even though it was a, it was a packed beach, it's a sat day, it's stinking hot, every single local is out on the sand, I was the only one stupid enough to get in the water. Mm. So I was like, thank God. God, there's somebody else out here with me. Like I'm not alone in this. And, and straight away you feel so much safer. But so I've kind of gone swimming over in his direction. And then I've realized that he's waving to the shore and I'm like, is he just waving to his buddies? And then I kind of get a bit closer and realize that he's waving frantically for help. And I've gone, Oh Jesus. Like he's drowning. He's, he's just drowning out here. And straight away you, you just get this adrenaline dump of here we go like this is going to be a nightmare like this was bad enough as it was with the waves as big as they are and I've, I've gone swimming over to him and I've got no idea what to do not really so I've, I've kind and, and I'm so I said I said to him I said are you okay I said, are, you, are you okay mate and he's kind of giving me a look like I'm drowning you idiot <laughs> uh, <laughs> and this this guy couldn't it was a local lad and he couldn't swim in a bathtub. He, he was just clearly had no idea what he was doing out there. And, and it didn't make any sense to me because I'm like, why are you coming for a swim in this if you can't swim? That's just stupid. What are you doing? And, um, but, I, but there's no time for that kind of discussion. I've, I've, I've grabbed him and tried to tow him into the shore. And um, he's just jumped all over me. Like, as soon as I've grabbed him, he's, he's panicked. And I've panicked and he's, he's kind of crawling all over me, which is, is fair enough. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're in that sort of situation where you're drowning, you can't swim. What else are you going to do? It's kind of like someone yeah. throwing you a life raft. You're going to, you're going to clamber all over it, which wasn't great for me. So I'm, I'm kind of underwater and then a wave comes over the top and I'm like, okay, so now I'm drowning and I'm panicking and I, I just completely freak out, shove him off me and then swim back into shore. And um, I felt awful for it. 
felt it was it was the most crushing it was the worst i've ever felt about anything and and what was worse is you know here i was thinking i was this big tough guy doing this you know this big trip through africa and i'm a you know bit of a courageous adventurous dude but then as soon as it came time to actually do something that could be pretty courageous and pretty awesome i just totally bailed on it it was it was i kind of had this crushing moment that and in the meantime, he's out there in the water and he's drowning and I'm just kind of on the shore like, oh, my God, I'm the worst human, just the worst. And um, we've someone's come running down from the hotel, from the, from the beach resort. Call it, a beach, it's, it wasn't really a beach resort. It was a place with hammocks. Um, he's come running down with a um, surfboard. And I'm like, oh, yeah, good. Go out and go out and get him. And he's given the surfboard to me. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want that. Mm. I don't want to go back out there again. I want, I just want to stay here and have this over with. I, di- I didn't want the responsibility anymore. But he's so, so he's just given that to me, and I've, I've been a douchebag and and taken the time to put the leg rope on, which and I'm just ticking the box of all the heinous things that I could possibly do that day. So I'm, while the guy's drowning out there, I'm putting the leg rope on, and then woof, out I go with the surfboard. And by the time I've gotten back out there again, he's drowned. Um, and it, it, was, it was, so all you can see is the back of his head. Wow. It, 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 it's sickening, sickening. And so I'm trying to pull him onto the board. In that time, a few other people who can't swim have tried to swim out there to save him. And now they're drowning as well. So they've jumped all over the surfboard. And we kind of, all of us try to haul him onto the, haul the body onto the, the surfboard but it's just not working. He's so slippery and heavy and it's just so many waves and it's a, it was just not going well at all. It was, it was a nightmare. But eventually we've got him onto the surfboard. We've, we've, we've got him into the shore and I thought, you know, that's, that's it then. It's, it's done. Um, someone else will come and fix things. Someone else is going to come and fix this up. I, I don't want anything to do with it anymore. But then nobody, nobody came. Nobody came and said, you know, I'm a doctor or stand back, I'm going to, help this guy and bring him back to life sort of thing. I thought, I, I, I know, I know some CPR. Well, I, okay. So I've, 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 I've started on him, but uh, the, all I know was the DRABC. So the, the D, the D I'm like, what? And I can't even remember what they are. All I remember is DRABC and um, I've gone D what's D D D D D. And I've, okay. Danger, danger. Right. And um, I, I've kind of, I've, I've kind of stepped my way through those as the steps so the, f- the first one was danger, which is kind of like if you've just been hit by a car, make sure you're not going to get hit by another car sure. kind of thing. Electrical like, wires or whatever the case is. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, you've got it. So it was, it was D, we, I, I moved on from that and I'm like, so on to R and I'm like, ah, what is R? And I'm like, R for resuscitation? What, is, what does that even mean? Like I thought this whole thing was supposed to be a resuscitation. And I'm, I'm panicking, like totally out of my mind panicking. And I've gone, no, R is for response. I've gone, right, I need to hit him. And so I've just wound up and given him a massive slap across the face and, and nothing happened. But the whole beach, everyone on the beach has just started laying into the guy, like kicks and punches. This is one guy punching him in the gut. You got another guy down the leg, just giving him a dead leg right in his thigh. Someone standing up, just hoofing him in the in the in the ribs because they see like, you do this and they think this yeah, is this. They, you're the authority. That, 
Yeah, they were all looking at me for cues, like, how do we help? And then they see the white guy give him like a big slap and they're like, right, let's bash him. Because <laughs> everyone's screaming and wailing and going crazy. No one's kind of listening to me screaming at them all to stop. It took the longest time to get them to stop pummeling him. I'm going, Jesus, right, what's next? So A for airways. I've gone, so which is that? And he, he's locked his jaw down, so I've, I've had to pry open his teeth with my, with my hands, which wasn't easy to do because I had to get my fingers between his teeth. But anyway, um, I've gone, right, breathing. So I've, I've done, this is the mouth-to-mouth bit. Like, this is where it gets real. Like, mm-hmm. here we go. This is, the, this is the Hollywood stuff. And so I've, <laughs> I've opened his mouth up and given him a, a, a big breath of air, but I haven't tilted his head back and I haven't blocked his nose. And I've got a big gob of snot right, fly right out onto my cheek. Oh, yeah. It was disgusting, just just right onto the side of my face. Oh, my God. I, I, I block his nose and get that right and give him a couple. I wipe the snot off my face first. And then I give him a couple of breaths of air and up goes his chest. And I start to give him the, so Dr. A, B, C, so now we're onto the, the compression part. We're, we're onto the, you know, onto the chest with the compressions. And... Um, so I, kind of, I start giving him compressions on his chest, but everyone else starts giving him compressions. They're, they're looking at me for tips on what to do again, and they're trying to help, and they're giving him compressions in his stomach, and someone's shoving him in the shoulder, and another guy down, that guy's giving him the dead leg down the end is now starting to give him compressions on his thigh. It was just insane. It was, and, and I couldn't get them to stop. By this stage, everyone's hysterical. Uh, but you know um, he's dead at this point. You know you're sort of, you're sort of wasting your time. Oh, the, the eyes are in the back of the head and it's kind of just flogging a dead horse. It's, it, but I kind of had to do it because it, in my mind, if he died, I, I didn't want him to live so that he could live. I wanted him to live so that I wouldn't have to deal with the guilt of leaving him to drown. It was mm-hmm. pure, pure. The, the, the number of selfish things that I did in, in 10 minutes, it's, it, I must have broken a world record. I, I, it still disgusts me. Um, so uh, he had to live. He, in, in my mind, he had to live because if he died, then this would be a massive tragedy for me. <laughs> Not for him. And, and it, 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 it's this, this insane, insane way of thinking. It, uh, it, it disgusts me. Anyway, um, so I'm, I'm giving him the compressions, but he starts to kind of convulse. Like, and, and it wasn't the guy compressing him on the leg down the end doing that. He, I could tell he was doing it himself. So I've flipped him like a table onto his side and he has just retched up buckets of water, like an inordinate amount of water. And then I've rolled him back again, given him a few more breaths and a few more compressions and then flipped him like a table again when he starts to convulse again. And he's brought up even more water and then he started to breathe and it was just wild. The beach has gone. If, If it hadn't gone crazy to that point, it just went absolutely to a whole nother level when he started breathing again. And it, it's the craziest thing, but that night I was, and it, I, I hate that I was, they, they turned me into the hero out of that because it was just pure selfish motivations the entire way through. But everyone at the bar that night was buying me drinks and I ended up pumping my stomach up that day as well, but much, much later. It was just, <laughs> it was, it was too much. All of it was just too much. It was the, the most full-on 10 minutes of my life. 
What have you learned from this? Uh, I I learned that I'm a selfish pig. That's a, <laughs> but, but that's a come good on. start. No, Luke, to, to be fair, that that's not selfishness. What you're saying that's 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 survival. I mean, you anyone gets uh, out there in the water, yeah, and you have someone else climb on top of you. I mean, that's it's a matter of survival. You know that you're probably both going to drown. The the person that's drowning can't help themselves at all. They're going to tow you down. I think it's automatic. I think almost anyone would do it. Anyone sensible would push themselves away and and head for shore. And I don't know if anyone you, would want to head back in. You make some very good points, Jim. You make some very <laughs> good points. <laughs> now, if you'd like to hear the full version of Luke's story, look in the show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Now, our next story is from a young woman who set out to circumnavigate Africa by bicycle. She's from South Africa. She only got as far as Angola when things started to go terribly wrong. She's riding her bicycle along a road. A truck pulls alongside. Men in the back have guns pointed at her and they demand that she gives up everything. Her money, her bicycle, her packs, everything. So luckily she escapes with her life, but everything else was gone. Her money, everything was gone. So she's gutted that her trip is over. She goes back home to South Africa. And by the time she gets there, she's not there very long before she gets contacted from officials of the Angolan government. (laughs) The Angolan government caught wind of what happened to her and they want to help out. They offer huge assistance. They tell her that they're going to pay for her trip. They're going to pay for her to do it again. She says she wants a motorcycle this time. They say, fine, no problem. They get her a motorcycle. In fact, they insist on making sure that she has a escorted safe passage through Angola. Yet in another bizarre twist in this story, she enters Angola. Is there only hours when things once again go terribly wrong? Out of Cape Town, you're headed up through Namibia again yep. and into Angola. Yep. Was there a big um, stop in Angola where you met up with the, the officials from the government again? <laughs> yeah. When I re-entered Angola, uh, the minister that I had been, that sent me the Facebook message initially, um, you know, said to me, when you get back in the country, please notify us so we can give you an armed escort. So now I wasn't allowed to travel in the country without an armed escort. Um, when I got to the border, uh, there was some miscommunication and I then notified the minister that I would continue to the first town, um, and then stay with friends for the evening and meet up with the police the next morning. I then, um, you know, met up with these friends of mine and notified the local chief of police and the governor of that province down in the south where I was staying uh, with these friends of mine. And that evening, um, as we were having dinner, four guys armed with guns stormed into the house and tied us to the chairs. (laughs) (laughs) This is your welcome back? (laughs) This is my first night back in Angola. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow so this was this was an armed robbery it was um just you know they just wanted money and i think no. i think i was just in the wrong place at the wrong time but i thought look i thought it was hilarious although it's not funny at all um 
<laughs> I just, I, I sat there thinking, does anybody see the irony in this? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> don't tell me they got your bike and your kid. <laughs> no, they didn't. Somehow I knew they wouldn't take the bike. But, um, so these, <laughs> these four guys, so they were standing there, they taped us to the chairs. Um, and then the, <laughs> the local chief of police and the governor, luckily, um, had come to welcome me back into Angola and to just check on me. Very lucky for us because these guys were quite aggressive. And like I said, they were armed with guns. And the one guy had a gun pointed right at my head. And there was a moment where I thought, you know, this is it. It's the end. And um, right then, the police, the chief of police with the governor in tow, then arrived at the gate outside the house. And these four guys took off. Um, and when when they came into the house, there we are, sitting taped to the chairs. And I'm like, hi, guys, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> and shame. The, the chief of police, he's this big guy, you know, just comes over to me and he gives me this huge hug and he says, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so that was my first night back in angola and from that day forward i'm not allowed to travel in angola without at least two armed escort vehicles Now, if you'd like to hear the full version of Joe's story, again, check the show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. There's a link there. Now, we've got another brush with death coming up after this short break. Stay with us. If you ride an adventure bike, your foot pegs should be important to you. For comfort on the road, for grip on the dirt, they need to be ultra tough, yet designed specifically for how you ride. IMS Products has been making motorcycle parts since 1976. Can you even remember 1976? And and over those years, IMS has become well-known in the race pits uh, around the world because racers want the best. And now us adventure riders can have that too through IMS Products and their full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs. They're designed specifically for your style of riding. They've got different models to choose from. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there. You heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, imsproducts.com. Spencer Conway and his wife, Kathy, have been riding together for years, exploring and filming their adventures for television. Now, at this point in the story, they're in Central America, Panama. Panama is generally considered a safe place for travelers and tourists, but they barely got into the country when things began to fall apart for them. This included kidnapping, threats, harassment, and a series of very scary interactions until finally they're forced to flee for their lives. Well, this is an alarming story for travelers, to be sure. Uh, Spencer Conway and his girlfriend, Kathy, are doing a circumnavigation of Central America, then the USA and Canada for filming that they're doing. 
they flew their motorcycle from Bogota into Colombia. Now, this is Spencer's 127th country on the same bike. I'm not sure how many countries he's done overall, but that itself tells you that they are accustomed to dealing with the importation of the motorcycle, the border crossing paperwork in general. They work as a team. Kathy is the camera person. Spencer is the on-screen personality. So we're talking about two experienced, competent travelers. And although they did all their paperwork, they crossed all the T's, dotted all their I's, packaged everything up just like it should be. One thing they didn't do, that was to anticipate being caught up in a major criminal sting operation where Spencer's bike was held for ransom and his life was threatened. They barely got out of Panama, some would say escaped, when I spoke with them here. Are you good there? Yeah, I'm actually in a hotel reception. Um, but I've asked them not to let anybody in, so hopefully uh, it'll be fairly quiet. So, so Spencer, where are you now? Um, yeah, I'm in Costa Rica at the moment, um, having left Panama, having some problems there, which I'll tell you about. Um, I, I'm starting my third circumnavigation. So, uh, obviously, I've done Africa and South America. So now it's uh, Central America, USA, Alaska, and Canada, all the way around the coast. And you've just started out when you ran into a problem. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, because I finished South America and um, uh, obviously starting Central now. Uh, the, the plan was to do the Darien Gap um, on the bike, but I can't do that till January. So um, we ended up flying um, from Ecuador, sorry, um, from Bogota, Colombia to uh, Panama. So you, you flew into Panama. Now, this is your 127th country on the Tenere. 127 countries. Right. I mean, Spencer, man, that's just, it's incredible. Uh, I mean, and you fly into Panama, which is like by most people's standards, sort of a, you know, a, a comfortable place to go, a place where you don't expect any trouble, but that's not what you experienced. When did it start to yeah. go wrong? Oh, absolutely. It started to go wrong right from the beginning. Um, just to explain, obviously, I didn't go through a normal customs check. I, it, the bike was on an aeroplane. So you can imagine the checks are quite stringent. So um, basically what happened was uh, I went to clear the bike. Uh, I filled in all the necessary forms. And as you're aware, I've traveled quite a lot. I've been you know, through these sort of customs over 100 times. So I'm really, really, really careful about my paperwork. I knew there were four papers to fill in. Um, so I got them all done. I got the bike out. Uh, I had the final paper to fill in, which I did. They were all stapled together. I handed them through a window. The woman put the final stamp on. She passed it back through the window, and she said, you're free to leave the airport. I left the airport, and um, I drove about 30 kilometers, and I was stopped uh, immediately. And I just have to tell you, there was a bike rally going on, and there were at least 50 bikes going through that border and they only stopped me. So first of all, I thought, okay, that's a bit strange. The, the second thing and most important is they always ask for passport and then papeles para la moto, papers for the motorbike. That's the standard setup. They didn't do that. They stopped me and the first thing the guy said was, where is your, and it was this certain piece of paper. So I took out my papers because I knew I had it and uh, it was gone. Uh, now, I didn't know at the time, but apparently, and I've been told this by the Panamanian consulate. So, I mean, that can be followed up. They said there is dodginess going on. So what, what I think that was happened was that they phoned through and uh, this, the woman, when I handed in the final piece, 
She removed that paper, phoned through. It's the first time in my whole life, in 11 years of riding the motorbike, that they asked for a specific paper. So it was missing. The chap said to me straight away, that's $3,000. So I went, no, I, I have done it. You can phone the airport. You can confirm that I filmed in, I filled in this paper. They said no. They separated me and Kathy. They, they took me into a room. They, they kept me there for six hours. And I asked for water. And they said no. It was absolutely absurd. They even said to Kathy, how would you feel if your husband disappeared? Okay, this is not a kind of thing that a customs officer says. So I knew we were in a lot of trouble. Um, so I knew that this paper had been taken. I knew that something was going on here. So I refused. So hang on, Spencer. So who's questioning you and where? Okay, this is at a roadblock and these guys are police. And one of them is supposed to be customs. Now, what I also didn't understand was that customs officer was at the airport. And when I got to that roadblock, he was there. So that was also really strange. So now I'm stuck with the police, okay? I'm stuck with them, and they've got me in a room, and they've told Kathy, how do you feel if your husband would go missing? The first thing he said was $3,000 for this paper. So I said, I'm not paying. I refuse to pay. So they said, okay, well, well, we're taking your bike anyway, because it's illegal. I said, listen, how can I possibly get through an international airport go through all my paperwork, get the four papers, and he went, it's this paper. And he handed me the exact paper that I filled in. And, and obviously an empty one. He was showing me the one I was supposed to fill. It was the exact paper I filled in, mm-hmm. and it was, it was supposed to be stapled to those other four. So anyway, they took the bike, and they started getting very aggressive. I'm not going to go into it. it. It was horrible. It was the first time I heard effing gringo. And, you know, in my whole time, my one and a half years, two years in South and Central America, absolutely loved every minute of it. So got in a bit of a panic. So I asked if I could make a phone call. Uh, One of the guys who was not involved was in the road, and he gave me his phone. I made a phone call to my father, and I said, call the British Foreign Office because there's something going on here. So then he did, and the Foreign Office traced this telephone and rang it back five minutes later. So I handed it to the customs officer, and they explained that it was the foreign office, the British foreign office, and what was going on. Um, they managed to uh, persuade the guys to take us into a town, but they wanted to take me in a truck. So I said, no, I refused to go in a truck with them. So the foreign office spoke to them again, and they agreed to take the bike into the main town that was near to the airport. So I followed on the bike, and they had a truck on the back in the front of me. So they put the bike into a compound. And where was Kathy for this? Kathy was on the back of the bike with me. When we went to the compound, before we got there, I told her to get off and go. So she left with the passports and everything. I go into this room. They lock the door. They lock the door. And there were three of them in there. And they tried to make me sign a paper to sign my bike over. I refused. They said, okay, give me your passport. I didn't have it. I said, I don't have my passport on me. So they said, well, you can go to the bank and pay, pay 3000 I said, how am I supposed to get 3000 And I'm not paying you. So I said, okay, we're keeping the bike. So anyway, uh, I said, look, I'm going back to the hotel. I need to go to the room where Kathy is. I need to uh, just sort my head out, etc." I left. 30 or 40 meters down the road, they, they knew I had to walk back to my room. They could have offered me a lift in there. 
they came out in a car and, and said, get in, get in to this car. So I said, no, I'm not getting in. And I flagged down a taxi. So then I got in there, got sorted, got my room. About an hour or so later, four guys came past in a, in a car. I recognized one of them from the roadblock. So I was like, oh my God, there's something going on here, Kathy. This is unbelievable. So um, when I went the next morning, instead of going, oh my God, the British uh, embassy is involved, et cetera, et cetera, they started a, what I can only say is an interrogation. They, my name, my age, my height, my weight. They even made me take my T-shirt off to show them the tattoos that I had. And they took a description of my tattoos. Does this sound like a traffic offense? Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, this is, so, so this is, they've got you in a room again by yourself. By myself, by myself. And also, uh, they, after that, they refused to let me use a phone. Spencer, just hang on. So, so we get a better idea of what's going, like how aggressive they are. Like, I know you don't want to get into too much of it, but sort of give an idea of, of like, like exactly how intimidating this really is. Okay. Um, I, as you know, I'm well-traveled. I, I don't really get scared easily, but I think the main one was when they said that to Kathy. How would you feel if your husband disappears? Because you can't really get much worse than that, can you? No. I mean, that's basically saying you're, he's going to die. And when you I find mean, about it afterwards and then they grab you again, you've got this in the back of your mind. Yeah, well, this is the problem. Because Kathy was saying to me, do not go back to that compound to get the bike because they're going to take you or something, okay? And I was like, okay, well, the foreign office, no. Um, Kathy contacted the Dutch embassy, but they wouldn't help her. So we just wanted to keep her hidden away. Now, um, the strangest thing was, I also phoned the Panamanian consulate from the room I was in, and this was the quote she gave me. This is the Panamanian consulate. I told her it was the police and the Aduan. And she said, Mr. Conway, this is very cryptic, sometimes the police are not police. So make, make what you will of that, okay? That's so, an official anyway. response? This is an official response, okay? Now, the other thing that's very upsetting is that the, the, the people that, I won't name them, that flew my bike over, they went straight onto social media and said, this is a message for all bikers. Make sure that you have all your correct paperwork. Okay? So what they were doing, and I totally understand it, they were trying to cover themselves, mm -hmm. saying that I hadn't done the correct paperwork, like, and that's why I got in trouble. Yeah, like you'd made okay? a mistake. Yeah, like I'd made a mistake, which 100% I didn't. But the paper was taken away. And it was all a setup. But even if so, you did, even if you had made a mistake and didn't have the paper to take you into a room and, and treat you the way they did, that's just not, that, that's not how it's done. Thank you very much. I totally agree. And I mean, it does. Does it sound like an interview? No, it sounds like an interrogation. No. I mean, I mean what, what do my tattoos of Africa have to do with uh, a piece of paper? Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, it was, it was absolutely absurd. So I'll tell you another thing. You'll find this so difficult to believe. So we're back in the room. We haven't got anywhere with a motorbike. I've had the interrogation. So we go outside to get a taxi, okay? I open the door of the taxi. He's, he's parked there. He's parked there. I open the door of the taxi, and there are no handles on the inside of the door. So I think, A, as Kathy's about to get in the other side, the taxi driver gets out, hands his keys to three guys, and says, these guys are going to take you. Can you believe this? Wow. 
So so just to be clear, that handles missing on the taxi cab. That's not a thing that you've seen before. I've never seen it before. And I mean, it's very difficult to get out once you're in. <laughs> That's just unbelievably <laughs> creepy. I yeah, mean. It, 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 was, it was unbelievable. It gets worse. It gets worse. So I grabbed Kathy and we just ran straight back in. So this was a, this was a kidnapping, basically, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Now, it gets even more absurd. After that, we go into the room and I said to Kathy, okay, this is it. Um, you are not going out again. I'm going to go to the supermarket. I'll get us food for the evening and uh, I'll come back. Okay? I go to the supermarket, I pay at the counter, I walk out, they arrest me for shoplifting. Okay? Wow. So, yeah, yeah, listen. So, uh, this is getting on the, on the margins of the absurd. So, I said to the guy, um, my receipt's in that bin there, um, you know, as you're walking out of the shop. So, we, he won't go and look for the receipt. And he won't allow me to look for this. So I, I look over to the counter to the woman that has just put my products through. And she goes, no, lo sé. I don't know. As though she's never seen me before. Wow. So he, this guy makes me pay, okay, again, for all my products. Right. So I head off down the road. A woman from Aduan, finally, I get in touch. I get through. And eventually, these guys who have been so aggressive realize they're getting nothing and I managed to get my bike. Okay. And this 3000 then went down to 1000 and then it got all aggressive because of who I'd contacted. And then they realized that they were in a totally sticky situation and that they weren't going to get away with this one. So they had to release the bike. Okay. So the bike is released. I go back to the room and this is where everything was confirmed. Two people turned up. And one of them was Adouan Customs. And she said, you have been targeted by a criminal gang. So I went, oh, okay. Everything makes sense. She said, they are here, around here. You need to leave in 10 minutes. So I said, pardon? They said, you've got to leave the country in 10 minutes. I said, okay, well, my wife's actually sleeping. I need to go and sort her out. They waited for me. And I went back and I said, look, we're actually my wife is too scared to do the 50 kilometers to the border. Because if you just told us we're targeted by a criminal gang, they can get us on the way out again. So um, they agreed to drive us to the border. So we had Aduan drive us to the border, and uh, the paperwork was done in like two minutes, and we were through. So it's the most absurd story I've ever come across. It's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. But that, that, that's it in a nutshell, really. What happened with your bike? How'd you get your bike to the border? Um, I rode it. Oh, I see. So they, they had the Adirond, they had the customs next to us with a truck and an armed guy. And uh, they saw us straight through. What is Adwan? Uh Customs, sorry, Customs. customs. So Customs. So, uh, so it's, Customs comes and tells you that, that you're in danger. They have no authority here? Uh, it, uh, it, it, I, I, it was so absurd that the people that were questioning me were not in uniform. I... I it, 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 it's a story that I will never, ever get my head around because I don't know who were the dodgy ones, who were the decent ones. It, it was just, just the weirdest, weirdest situation. And to me, I'm, I'm totally in the dark. I'm totally in the dark. But, I mean, the fact that, number one, the Panamanian consulate said, you know, uh, uh, police are sometimes not police is the weirdest thing. And also the fact that they told me straight that I've been targeted by a criminal gang. But I don't. I, I suspect. It was 
the customs involved, some dodgy customs. You, you think it was it was actually like part of the government or, or crooked people in customs? I, I, can't, I can't say that on radio. I just, I know I had that paper. I recognized it when he showed it. I know I filled it in. I handed it through that glass partition. She stamped it, handed it all back. It, that one mistake of not looking just before I drove out was my error. But I don't didn't expect someone to steal the paper. And the fact that, it, that as soon as I got to that roadblock, they they asked for that paper. It, it obviously clearly it's it's well organized. She pulls the paper at the airport. Somebody does hands it back. She tells you free to go, and then they pick you up down the way. And like you said, it's the same person that you saw at customs. So so this is a pretty deep um, uh, um, a criminal activity. Sure, absolutely it is. You know, I, if it was just a one off, okay. If it was a one-off rogue customs officer, you know, we all go through it, don't we? You know, give me $20 or whatever. But it was the aggression. It was the organization. It was the holding of the bike. It was the inter... I mean, when I told Kathy about about describing my tattoos, they did everything except fingerprints. It was like being booked into jail. I mean, literally, it was that ridiculous. On a positive note, what was so incredible about this was, like, the response from you guys. Honestly, all the bikers and everything. I mean, Greg Turp even arranged uh, for bikers to come and protect us outside the hotel, as did another guy. And um, we had a bunch of bikers just turn up, which is, and, and I must have had 500 messages. We were even offered money, flights, everything. I mean, from other bikers, even bikers that we haven't met. So it, it was so humbling. It really was. But to this day, I don't think I'm going to be able to explain this one away. And clearly, it's not a country you're going to go back to. Uh, I will go back. I think I'll go back on my own. Uh, I, I'd like to say something about that. I cannot judge Panama. I cannot say anything to anybody about how beautiful or how not it is. Because I literally got in on the main road and uh, things just started happening. And then we just got filtered out four days later after all of this. A lava. So um, the fact that there's a criminal gang, it doesn't say anything about the country. So I don't want to put anybody off that country. It could it could happen anywhere to anybody. It was just really unfortunate. If you'd like to hear the full version of Spencer's story, again, the link is in the show notes on our website, adventureriderradio.com. The link for all of them are there. Well, although we've had plenty more stories like this, I have to point out here that um, these are rare stories. They really are. As far as the number of travelers that go out there and run into scary things, it's just not normal to have these very, very scary experiences with travel. So they're not meant to scare you. We put these together to illustrate a point. But maybe we should think back to Mexico's Day of the Dead celebrations and choose to remember just how great life is without having the brush with death as a reminder.
Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Hey, if you're not doing it already, we would love you to consider supporting the show. We need you to support the show. Drop by the website, AdventureRiderRadio.com. Click on support. We've got another show called Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Everything's available at our website. Just go there, AdventureRiderRadio.com. Have a look around. And again, uh, I'll tell you that all the links for these stories that you've heard today if you want to hear the full versions all in the show notes as well as some great photographs so make sure you drop by and check those out anyway time to get out there and ride your bike if you can my name is jim martin thanks very much for listening i'll talk to you next week i'm heather ellis and you're listening to adventure rider radio (laughs) 